0: Hello friends, it's Sam Matterface here with the Ultimate Premier League
1: Show as we review midweek, cut through the transfer window like a knife through marshmallow and look forward to the weekend. Alongside me, TalkSport broadcaster Kwaku Afari is here. Hello. How you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Angelina Kelly is here from the TalkSport Edge. Hello.
2: Hello there.
1: Uh, coming up, 10 games to look back on, including late drama and embarrassing defeats. The best, worst, most expensive and bargain transfers from this summer's window. As deadline day goes a little bit crazy, but how many deals were actually done? And 10 massive Premier League games to look forward to this weekend, including the Merseyside derby, which is live and only on TalkSport. It's the Game Day Podcast. Gregor Afari is part of the uh, Sunday Session team on Talk sports So well, I've worked with him a lot and you know you might be listening to this podcast saying who is this guy? He's the good-looking one that was on Sky Sports News earlier on today. Hello, how are you? Stop it, you flatter me, Sam. I'm good, thank you. I'm good. It's it's not the uh, the Sunday Session team, the Sunday Session family. Absolutely. Angelina Kelly uh is Talk Edge host, long-suffering Manchester United fan. She was with us throughout the course of the uh Euros in the summer for the Lioness's triumphant experience. Uh, how are you feeling? Are you buoyed by a reinvigorated United, excited by Anthony?
2: I can't allow myself to get that excited because how many times have Man United had these signings that have come in for ridiculous amounts of money? And I just, I allow myself to get excited. I get burnt. Yeah, I can't get too excited. I need him to have a few games, ease himself in, see what he's saying first because I I don't know how much longer I can go through this, to be honest.
1: The biggest ever signing on deadline day in the Premier League, um, which is pretty impressive. Let's hope he lives up to expectation. We'll do transfer window stuff, by the way, in about 13, 14 minutes' time. But first, let's look back on midweek.
0: Arsenal building once more. It's going the same way it has done for most of the game, and that is a goal for the Gunners immediate reaction... Just as they have done on a number of other occasions this season Like when they hosted Leicester at this stadium And it is Martinelli who scored the goal The scoreline now Arsenal 2, Aston Villa 1 And we've just had a goal here at the London Stadium as well Joe Shannon Bubbles are blowing now, 10 minutes into the second half It's West Ham 1, Tottenham 1 And Thomas Socek has scored West Ham's first Premier League goal At London Stadium this season We've got a goal at the Etihad, another one Mickey Gray. Well, Adrian, I think it took him 18 minutes to get his first hat-trick on Saturday. A little bit more than that, but Erling Haaland has just got his hat-trick goal. Bournemouth nil, Wolves nil, a hard fought point for Bournemouth in their first game since Scott Parker was sacked as manager. What a performance, and what a centre-forward they have brought to this football club. Manchester City 6, Nottingham Forest nil. Each minute of added time, only five were single... Liverpool have just scored and it's Cavalio, the substitute, who's got it.
1: we are better start with Manchester United because they just finished literally minutes ago um, and they beat Leicester by a goal to nil. It wasn't very special, but it was well managed. Um, three wins in a row, two away wins in a row. Uh, and Angelina, I suppose that's putting things right, isn't it? It's just getting on the right path.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I understand, you know, I've my family members that are Man United fans, you know, message me like, oh, great, great, great. And it's like, well, it's not great. It wasn't the most groundbreaking performance, but it's great in the sense of this is, you know, Man United are clawing their way to where they should be, kind of the status quo. They should be beating teams like Leicester by more than one goal, in my opinion. But yeah, I think getting back to what should be expected of them is is good for fans, especially after that dreadful, dreadful start. So, yeah, not too much to kind of moan about in that sense. It's three points. It's an important win. And I think Man United fans at this point, you've just got to take, take what you're given in that we got a win. Uh, Sancho got a goal which I think is important to see him on the score sheet so yeah it's it's a bit of a weird one because you want to expect more but at the same time you just want to be happy with what you're given at this point.
1: Um, There were signs of development there were signs of excitement in the game there was the moments towards the end where the front three were starting to combine and Fernandez was starting to pull the strings etc etc do you think they're finding their feet Quaker? Yeah, I I do. And after after the Brentford game, United fans would
3: have been fearing the worst. So the fact that they're getting some results on the board is the most important thing at this point. And it gives Ten Hag agency to make those big calls. And it looks less dramatic, Ronaldo being left on the bench when Manchester United are winning. So tonight was a big result, despite the fact that it was an underwhelming performance in terms of maybe you'd like to see Manchester United score a lot more goals against the Leicester side that are struggling for confidence and form. It was a good result. And when Ronaldo did come on and make his uh, cameo, he looked effective. So it's almost not for Manchester United. They're ahead of some of their their biggest rivals, cough cough Liverpool, in the Premier League at the moment. So it's 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 looking more positive than it was two three weeks ago when they suffered that incredible defeat to Brentford.
1: Yeah, Liverpool had like two games worth of extra time added onto their game. Um, <laughs> a boost for Leicester. Uh, at the end of the match. Justin had a really good chance um, right at the very end and probably should have taken it. Vardy missed a, a good effort, timed an effort earlier in the first 45 minutes. But it hasn't gone very well at all. We'll talk about their transfer window a little bit later on. But they just seem to be a little bit flat to me. What do we reckon, Angelina?
2: Yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of sad to see this, this decline. And if I was a Leicester fan, I would be extremely worried. But yeah, You know, from their perspective, maybe they should have been going into that game looking like, yeah, you know, Man United are kind of on the up, but, you know, they have had some pretty bad moments already in this season. So this is an opportunity to maybe try and and capitalise on that, perhaps. So I think in that sense, it's a little bit disappointing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, with some of the players that have departed, this is what you're going to get with this team.
1: Um, Brendan Rodgers coming out just moments ago and saying I feel sorry for them the team because they've given everything absolutely everything but with the greatest respect we haven't been given the help in the market (laughs) that sounded a bit Scott Parker didn't it (laughs) Um, Liverpool uh, beat Newcastle the previous night we sort of mentioned it Liverpool kept going right to the very end and the end kept going right to the very end not entirely sure Newcastle deserved to lose that game, Quaker. Bearing in mind the tight offside for the goal, Isaac's second one was ruled out, and the injury time that presumably—I mean, well, I mean—what was the theory behind it? Because Nick Pope was down for 90 seconds during the five minutes of added time, and they played eight.
3: Well, if you ask Liverpool fans, they they'll tell you that Nick Pope was down for five minutes. Um, it was incredible. Like you say, at the time, at the time, and to add insult to injury for Newcastle, as soon as they kicked off after Liverpool scored that winner, the game ended. And so I can feel, I can understand if you're a, if you're a Newcastle fan why you feel hard done by. It was a great performance. Hearing that Isak has only trained once in the last week and he put in a performance like that at Anfield. Um, it's testament to how good of a player he is and testament to the recruitment at Newcastle. Um, you can see Eddie Howe was very, very frustrated with the result. He spoke about it post match. Um, I think they deserve something from that game. Especially in in terms of the way it went down, in regards to the extra time, they had the other time, Newcastle maybe have to bear some of that blame. They were wasting time throughout the duration of the game, but I feel like that performance they put in against Liverpool, especially that tight offside, like you said, I don't know what demarcation means, but that seems to be the buzzword at the moment when it comes to these tight off cycles. I feel like they're 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 very unlucky to not leave Anfield with more than more than they did, but. Again, for Liverpool, it was a great result. Uh, they they need to get points on the board, similar to what Manchester United, or similar to the situation Manchester United are in at the moment. They need to get points on the board whilst they get players in. And to win against Newcastle, who are a team that we expect to be there or thereabouts in terms of challenging for the top six this season, was a great result to get midweek. Angelina, that was a little dig at me from Quaker because
1: there is a <laughs> uh, a thing we do on a Sunday on the Sunday session uh, where we go through the, all of the decisions of the weekend, the controversial ones, and offside comes up quite a lot. The toe offside, obviously they've changed the laws over the lot, not laws, but they've changed the interpretation of the laws over the course of the last two years, where they now, if the two lines that they draw on the on the floor when they're doing the VAR check on offside, if they overlap, then it was the advantage given to the striker. Now. The point is, is that no matter where you end up drawing the lines, in the end, there has to be a demarcation point. You have to put the line somewhere. So wherever you put the line, at some point, there's always going to be a decision where a big toe is just slightly over it. Uh, and it's it's a bit of a buzzword on the Sunday show, which is why he had he had to drop it in. Sam, I think you're the only person in the world who understands what demarcation is.
3: You can try to explain it to me as much as you as you like. I just will never understand <laughs> what it means and how they implement it in football.
1: Okay, let's move on to uh, Wednesday's game between Arsenal and Aston Villa. Um, look, I, Arsenal have done very well, haven't they? I mean, they're top of the table statistically. This game was an absolute mauling, despite the fact that it was only 2-1 to the Gunners in the end. I only saw the highlights because I could only manage three live screens at one time on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, but, I mean, do, do Aston Villa offer anything? Did they offer anything apart from a, a lucky corner? I, I, not really from what I understand. So, so what does it show about Arsenal, the fact that despite suffering a setback, they came back and won this game? And how much pressure is Steven Gerrard under?
2: Gerrard's going to be under massive pressure at this point and I think that you know the way that things kind of went last season and you know like some of the names you know like all the buzz over you know Coutinho being brought in and all that type of stuff like it was all kind of happy families and everything and now it just seems like maybe the cracks are starting to appear and yeah I would definitely be worried as an Aston Villa fan but you know with with Arsenal, a, you know, a great team performance. I think you know to be able to have such a good response to get that goal back. It seems like with Arsenal, and it pains me to say it, but you know, the pieces of the puzzle are maybe starting uh, to slot in. Great to see Gabriel Jesus playing so well, and it shows what happens. You know, when a player is in the right environment. Um, you know, how that can work. I think that Lokonga looked really good. I've heard a few Arsenal fans being a little bit shady towards Saka that, you know, obviously that chance that he missed, but I think that he looked, you know, really good as well. So, yeah, I mean, not really anything to complain about for Arsenal fans for once. Yeah,
1: I understand the reason why Saka hasn't been, uh, or has been criticised a little bit over the course of the first few weeks of the season, because although he hasn't played bad or really done too much wrong, he hasn't done much either. So there hasn't been much to talk about. And obviously, he was the great hope for the the season. The song goes uh, Saka and Smith-Rowe. But neither of those two players really have made a massive impact on this team this season so far. But it's a long season and and things, I'm sure, will turn in his favour. But it's been a really impressive settling in period from Gabriel Jesus. He's been absolute dynamite at the top of that formation. And Martinelli, I think, also needs credit because he's played very well. And he got, of course, the winning goal on uh, Wednesday night. So, as I said on the, on the Sunday podcast, something about them, I actually quite like them. Bournemouth nil, Wolverhampton Wanderers nil. We won't spend too long on this because it was about <laughs> as dull as it sounds. Um, the XG was rather embarrassing. Um, so tell me, Kwaku, what, what are they doing about Scott Parker?
3: you kind of saw the writing on the wall when he came out after their mauling um, at the hands of Liverpool and he called out the board essentially saying or calling out the fact that they haven't backed his team in the transfer market. He's probably looking at other promoted teams such as Nottingham Forest and Fulham who have been backed and he's looking at his Bournemouth squad and he understands that it wasn't, it wasn't up to scratch. Clearly, the board didn't like those comments. And like I said, the right one was on the wall. When you heard him post-match, you kind of knew that his time was up at Bournemouth. Ironic that the Bournemouth motto is together, anything is possible. They clearly didn't think so. Four games into the Premier League season, they've got rid of their manager. I don't see how Bournemouth stay up this season, especially with how their squad is currently constructed. It'll be very, very interesting to see who they bring in. Harry Redknapp was on TalkSport this evening. Um, he threw John Terry's name into the hat. I can't really see that being a possibility. Sean Dyche is always going to be a man linked with vacant Premier League jobs. And somebody like that who's got experience uh, in keeping teams in the Premier League would be my choice to come in and take over from Bournemouth to
1: see if they can keep them in the Premier League. But I think it's going to be very, very difficult this season for them. Manchester City beat Nottingham Forest by six goals to nil. It's a good job I took Dean Henderson out of my fantasy team this week. Um, we will talk Haaland a little bit later on, but there was a chance, believe it or not, there was a chance when Nottingham Forest had the opportunity to equalise when it was 1-0. And on those things, sometimes the game turns. Maybe not, but look, you know, they're so good, Manchester City. It's very difficult to find fault with them, isn't it? I mean, they 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 were brilliant.
2: Absolutely amazing. And again, this is another one that really, really pains me, but. Yeah, uh, you know, City just continue, you know, it's just like onwards and upwards with them. I thought that Alvarez had like some really great work I think. He looked really good. Obviously, Erling Haaland, the complete striker, what more could you have asked for from him? Very scary, the amount of goals he's already scoring. Mm. Um, I am dreading Derby Day, put it that way. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, like I say, City just continue and I'm really, as, as a football fan, I'm really excited to see you know where they go this season and you know one eye has got to be surely this has got to be their year in the Champions League as well but you know Premier League wise it's just yeah them just carrying on being absolutely brilliant unfortunately
1: it's one of those things for Nottingham Forest where you just think, just don't worry about it. I know you've yeah. signed 23 different players, but just just for this one, let's just not worry about that. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, and we will. We will move on to West Ham United 1, Tottenham Hotspur 1. David Moyes with proof that rotation can work. Uh, Spurs goal was a little bit lucky. West Ham's quick thinking probably gave a fairer result. The Hammers fans in the pub that I was at last night we're all saying that you know, this game's there for the taking and the XG sort of reflects that Quaker 1.52 West Ham, 0. 0.72 Tottenham Hotspur. I mean does that worry you a little bit about about Tottenham, the fact that they're not creating as many chances as maybe we thought they would with that richness in the forward battalion?
3: Well, there was a lot of talk about Spurs pre-season. A lot of people were very, very excited to see what Conte could do with a full pre-season under his belt. Um, with the Spurs side, we see we saw how uh, how much he ran them into the ground in pre-season, trying to get their fitness up. I think the biggest issue for Spurs is how deep they defend. Um, it's a low, low block, and it's very, very difficult to uh, to play progressive football like that. Um, they're a great counter-attacking team. They can soak up pressure and hit teams on the counter-attack with players like Son, Kuzeski and Kane. But when it comes to really dominating games of football, I think Spurs will struggle with that, especially with the, the system that Antonio Conte implements. What I would say is petty for the thoughts of Philo uh, Um, in his first two of his first three games. One of them, he gave away a penalty. Another one, he scored a known goal. So not great, lie, not a great start to life as, as a West Ham player. But for West Ham, I think they can count themselves unlucky in this one. Like you say, the Spurs goal was pretty fortuitous uh, and the West Ham goal was brilliant. That assist from Mikel Antonio uh, to Thomas Suchek. And I think mm. West Ham, after a, after a shaky start to the season, can look onwards and upwards. I think they're going to finish mid-table-ish. Maybe they can look a little bit higher. But for Spurs, if they want to really challenge the top two in Man City
1: and Liverpool, then they need to play a little bit more progressive football. Um, Southampton beat Chelsea by two goals to one. First of all, the pitch at St Mary's is an absolute disgrace. Um, second of all, I don't know what Chelsea are trying to do, but it ain't working. Um, yes, the ball was holding up on the playing surface. So clearly the idea should be to change up your tactics because it wasn't working. Uh, the, I mean, it was very, very slow, obviously, because of that. But they defended like they hadn't played together before. Well, it was probably because they hadn't played that way before. They played a black, back four right at the beginning of the game for some unknown reason, then decided to switch to a three halfway through. Uh, basically, I mean, it was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? It was shocking. It was shocking
3: from Chelsea. And I know the lead result on paper was worse. Losing 3-0 against a team that you, you've you got a strong rivalry with is not great. But this one against Southampton, Chelsea looked hapless, especially after taking the lead. Um, you'd expect Chelsea to fully go on and establish their dominance in that game. We can't discredit Southampton too much. That
1: Romeo Lavia goal was absolutely incredible and he looks like a serious player. But But he was given the freedom of the entire penalty box to get into the top corner, wasn't he? I mean, no one closed him down. No, and that's the problem. The, uh, the players and the defenders especially
3: don't look to be on the same page. And that was a hallmark of Tuchel's or the initial part of Tuchel's era at Chelsea. Despite the fact that they couldn't find a consistent goal scorer, Chelsea knew how to defend. That's what led, led I was going to say, us, but led Chelsea to, to win in careful. the Champions
1: League. Careful. I know, I
3: careful. know, I know. I've got to be
1: careful. Um, <laughs> no, you, we all know you're a Chelsea fan. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, Angeli has come out of, as a Manchester United fan <laughs> yeah. very early in the podcast. <laughs> no.
3: No secret. But that's what they Chelsea to Champions League glory um, under Tuchel. And the fact that Chelsea can't defend is worrying times. Like I say, the the struggles up top are well documented. Raheem Sterling will get you goals by default. He That's what he does in terms of goal contributions, mm. goals and assists. But Chelsea haven't got a strong enough defence and they haven't got someone to put the ball in back on a consistent basis. And at this rate, I can see Chelsea slipping out of the top
1: four. Oh, the, the good news is, though, they haven't really spent much in order to get themselves in that position. <laughs> Shall we move on? <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably best. <laughs> um, Palace against uh, Brentford uh, finished one-one. Uh, Brentford with another late, late goal. Angelina and they deserved their point, didn't they? And Z- Zaha was simply sensational. That little tiny shift to the right, a tiny little bit of backlift, brilliant. And uh, actually, the cross from Jan Alt for Wissa's headed goal was pretty superb as well.
2: Yeah definitely like you say Brentford did deserve that one and Zaha you know I've I've felt for him with some of the comments you know after the game it's it's a bit of a painful one and if I was a Palace fan I would be so frustrated because these narrow leads that you let slip further down the line this could be one of those games that ends up really hurting them you know points wise and it just shows you know you cannot rely on that and like Zaha said you know after, you know, we 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 score a goal and then it's like, we're almost sitting back. Why are we not pushing forward again? And like you say, when you've got a talent like Zaha, you should surely be trying to do that because like I say, they've got punished for it in the end and you cannot just score one goal and think, oh yeah, we'll just defend and we'll be all right because, you know, they came unstuck.
1: Let's uh, go to Leeds versus Everton. I mean, Jesse Marsh is getting a little bit animated, isn't he? I mean, he, he's a little bit excitable, but they, there is a little bit of an edge to it as well, Kweku, isn't there? I mean, is that necessary? I know he was very unhappy with the, the time-wasting from Everton, which he said started in the first minute of the game. But actually, I mean, you might call it time-wasting, but what it was was Everton were trying to disrupt the tempo that Leeds play with, which is really intense. They're in your face. They press really high up, man on man, pretty much all over the park there. Well, they're a very sort of like fiery team, aren't they? And if you can disrupt that and take the sort of wind out of Leeds's sails any way you can, it's probably a good sort of tactic to follow, isn't it?
3: 100% and I witnessed that first time when Chelsea lost to Leeds 3-0. It's that frenetic energy, it's constantly, it's non-stop, it's that ball of energy and they've got the players to do that and that is in stark contrast, uh, stark contrast to Frank Lampard who as a player was was a brilliant attacking player but as a manager is very, very pragmatic. So we saw a conflict of styles there and I can understand why Jesse Marsh was frustrated with the time-wasting but that those are tactics of Everton. You've got, kind of got to live with those dark arts Within football, that is part of Premier League football. What Everton needs to concentrate on after taking the lead for an Anthony Gordon goal, who, by the way, I'm very impressed with after all the links to Chelsea. He's got his head down and scored in his last two Premier League games. So credit to him. Um, I think he's going to go on to have a bright future, whether that's at Everton or elsewhere in the Premier League. He looks like a player. Um, but Everton needs to make sure they hold on to these leads. They've drawn three games this season. They need to make sure they convert some of those draws into wins if they want to stay up. And it's crazy saying that about a, size, uh, a club the size of Everton who should be a mid-table team at least. Their job this season is to avoid relegation. So in order to do that, they need to turn some of these draws into wins. i back Lampard to do that, though. Um, I'm starting to see shoots of recovery from Everton. We know about their struggles in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. Hopefully Neil Mopai can uh, can kind of solve that issue. And Dominic Lewin is now back in training. Hopefully we see him soon in an Everton shirt. But like I say, the biggest biggest issue for Everton is converting some of those draws into wins.
1: Wobie's been brilliant for them, and uh, Gordon's finish was top quality. Leeds equaliser, sinisteric scoring in the cup last week and scoring a very good goal, wrong footing Pickford with a drag into the bottom corner, brilliant, um, and a very good save by Pickford actually at the end from Gerhard. Anana maybe should have won it late on for Everton. There was late drama in the game, and Rodrigo's injury may well be significant for Leeds going forward. Uh, Fulham against Brighton, two one. Uh, Fulham winning again. They took a two goal lead, Brighton with another a number, actually, of of uncharacteristic defensive errors during this game. First goal was an up and under. Second was an aberration of an own goal. What on earth has happened to, to Brighton? This is unlike them.
2: Yeah, very strange one from Brighton. I would agree. Not what I expected to see maybe it's just you know one of those games but if it's not then this could be a you know a serious issue for them but you know give give Fulham you know credit where it's due um I think a lot of people you know automatically kind of wrote them off and I like the way that they've kind of you know reacted and the games that they've been having Mitrovic obviously enjoyed watching him um so yeah good for Fulham but yeah I agree regarding Brighton it's quite concerning.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on TalkSport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
1: Well, what a final day it was. I know, Angelina, you were uh, covering it for TalkSport Edge. It felt to me like one of those days which was incredibly hectic, but not that much happened until right towards the the, the very end, really. Jack Stevens went to Bournemouth. Leicester actually signed a player. Anthony. we've already mentioned. Arthur Mello joined Liverpool on what could be a permanent transfer at the end of a first season on loan from Juventus. Manuel Akanji, who was going to join Leicester about a week ago, has actually joined Manchester City uh, from Borussia Dortmund for 16.7 million quid. Fulham have been quite active. They've signed Larvin Kurzawa. Idrissa Gay has gone to Everton, which is a good signing for them. They need people in that engine room. Maitland-Niles went to Saints on loan. Then Donka to Villa. Uh, Everton also signed James Garner as well late in the night on uh, Thursday, which I think was a good deal. Nathan Redmond possibly going to Bournemouth was still alive about 10 minutes before the deadline, but we hadn't got the the confirmation that um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has joined Chelsea as we're recording. Now he's in London. The two clubs have agreed a deal. What's happening here, Kwaku.
3: Chelsea have been pursuing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for a little while. Um, I've already mentioned how much Chelsea have struggled to put the ball in the back of the net. He might be viewed as a stopgap, but if Tuchel can get the Aubameyang that he had at Borussia Dortmund that was so prolific, then Chelsea have got a player. Obviously, you know how it ended that Arsenal was pretty acrimonious. The all or nothing documentary highlighted that. But Aubameyang is a player that has scored goals and let us not forget that he was the man that led Arsenal to FA Cup glory in 2020, actually beating Chelsea in the final, uh, scoring a brace in the final and the semi-final. So he's a man that can score goals. He's proven in England. He had a good half season at Barcelona. So as a Chelsea fan, I'm happy to see somebody come in that can put the ball in the back of the net. Whether Aubameyang is, uh, is the right man, it remains to be seen.
1: Um, Arthur has gone to uh, Liverpool and uh, there's a lot of discussion about this on the basis that this is a guy who obviously was at Barcelona. Everyone thought, wow, he's going to be an immense talent. I remember when he first joined Barcelona, there was a lot of talk about him. Didn't really work out, went to Juventus, didn't really worked out. He's sort of been a bit of a lull in his career. In Brazil, he's thought of really highly someone who has always seemed to have quite a lot of potential. He's a very technically gifted player. It might be just what Liverpool need in that central midfield, as long as he can adapt to the physicality of the Premier League. And that is always a question mark, isn't it, Angelina?
2: Yeah, 100%. I, I agree with you. When I saw this this deal, I was kind of thinking like, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, I remember this guy. I remember he was the star at Barcelona and then it kind of went downhill and then he went to Juventus and he went even more downhill. You know, he was one of a couple of uh, midfielders at Juventus that... It just didn't quite work out. Um, but I think this is a great opportunity for him and for Liverpool. Like you say, it's not going to be easy for him to adapt to the league. You know, coming from Spain and Italy, the style of football there compared to the style of football that Liverpool play. And also, you know, the Premier League in general, it's it might take him a minute, 100%. But I think the situation that Liverpool are finding themselves in, in the midfield this is a you know a really smart player to bring in and i think if any manager is going to be able to get the best out of him I would put a lot of faith in a manager like Jurgen Klopp. Um, you know, he clearly sees something in this player. I'm sure that Liverpool fans, you know, the signings that he's brought in the past will trust him completely with this one. And yeah, I think he, like you say, a very technically gifted player. And if he can adapt, then I think it's definitely going to ease a lot of the issues that we've been seeing with Liverpool. And again, if they manage to make it a permanent thing as well, then that's great for them.
1: Uh, Sam Madozzi has gone from Manchester City to Southampton for an undisclosed fee. Looks like they're going down the youth route and have been. There's a change in philosophy down in Southampton because what they want to do is buy promising talent, which they think they'll be able to sell on in the future. They've got to get results at the same time. Well, they certainly got one this week, didn't they? Um, Debravka's gone to Manchester United from uh, Newcastle on loan as a backup goalkeeper for David De Gea. Uh, Favourite transfer of the day, definitely Willian joining (laughs) Fulham on a free transfer. Literally no one saw that coming. Has uh, is, is this got to do with the fact that he wants to be back in London because he's got a restaurant and he just wants to k- oversee it? Is that- <laughs> do you reckon he sold this house in West London? Do you reckon he
3: just kept it because he knew he was going to come back? Kept it. Kept <laughs> yeah, about
1: that rent Rental crisis. So he's just, thought, <laughs> I'll just sign for Fulham, you know, and I'll just make sure I live in it rather than having to try and trying to get some extortionate rent for the property. Um, okay, so let's have a little bit of fun with the transfer window and look at some of... Uh, uh, you can nominate who you think is the best transfer window. Uh, Angelina, tell us who you think are the best transfer window.
2: You know, you know what? I think I just have to go with Nottingham Forest just because of the amount of players that they've brought in. Like, I really just rate that like round of applause for them, and also the players that they've brought in. I mean, I know Dean Henderson's, you know, not looking amazing at the minute, but I think he is one million percent. You know, as a Man United fan, I'm gutted about that situation. He is you know, such a star name. I highly doubt that we will ever see him in a Manchester United kit again. Maybe, you know, if things go well with Forrest, then, you know, that's where he will be for a while. Who knows? But yeah, you know, bringing a player like him in, Emmanuel Dennis, Morgan Gibbs-White, I just think that they're really, you know, smart signings for Forrest. And I think the backing that that club have got, the journey that they've been on, I think to just carry on that consistency and taking, I mean, we knew they were going to take it seriously, but to just, you know, make such a volume of signings and to say, yeah, we're here. We want to stay up. We don't just want to stay up. But the the players that they have brought in, you know, a lot of them experienced in the Premier League as well. You know, we want to have a good season and, you know, really make a statement of being back in the Premier League. So for me, just because I think it's quite funny that they've had so many names and, and a lot of good names, I would go with them.
1: Yeah, um, I, I quite like what Henderson's done so far this season. I know it wasn't great against Manchester City, or it wasn't great against Manchester yeah. City, but apart from that, I think he's done very well. Um, Renan Lodi coming in, good quality player. I like the young potential in Gibbs White and Nico Williams. They've got experience with Bolly and with Lingard as well. I think it's a really sensible set of recruitment. They had to get a big squad in because they had so many players that were on loan and out of contract at the end of last season. So it was a bit of a churn. I mean, it is an amazing churn. I don't think it's ever been done like this before in the Premier League, but good luck to them. Who are you nominating for best transfer window, Quaker? It kills me to say it, but I think it's Arsenal. If you
2: look
3: oh. at
1: the uh, the
3: arrivals at the Emirates Stadium, they've brought in players that have improved their first team. Gabriel Jesus has hit the ground running. Uh, Zinchenko, despite the fact that he's currently injured, has slotted him perfectly. It's not so much of a sign in terms of William Saliba, he's been out on loan a couple of times, but the fact that they've brought him back in and assimilated him into their starting eleven so seamlessly, is just testament to what Arteta is building at the Emirates Arsenal look like a top team again um, they've won their first five games in the Premier League um, they look like they're going to challenge for a place in the top four if not higher um, and I always think when well, I look at the transfer window people can talk about Spurs with the fact that they brought in players that have improved their squad but when you improve your first team and play a slot in straight away that's that's a sign of a good transfer window so the business that Arsenal have done we haven't even seen the best of Marquinhos a winger they brought in Fabio Vieira we, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of him in the future future. Um I'm 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 really impressed with the work that Arsenal have done. And it just it, it, it speaks to giving managers time. There's been multiple occasions where Arsenal could have maybe got rid of Mikel Arteta over the last couple of years, but they stuck by their man and it's paying dividends right now.
1: Um I'm going to nominate Manchester United as best transfer window. <laughs>
3: Controversial. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Controversial why I mean I, I I looked at their team, right? They've got a new manager. When you get a new manager in you've got I think you've probably got to... If it was up to me and I would have been in charge of that club, I would have done a Nottingham Forest and got everybody out and got a whole new squad of 23 in. But Ten Hag obviously couldn't do that. It's a big club and it's very difficult to sort of negotiate your way through some of the deals. The fact they bought in Anthony, who I really liked, by the way, I've got a bit of a crush on him. Uh, <laughs> Martinez, Melassia, Eriksen, Casemiro, they all improve Manchester United's first team. And that's five players and i think that is such a significant upgrade that it it doesn't wipe away the aberration of brighton or uh, of brentford it doesn't sort of it may, maybe it does paper over just a couple of cracks in certain positions but actually i think it's the building blocks of a brighter future because we've seen this before with the glazers with even with other clubs Chelsea used to do it with uh, Roman Abramovich. They had a bad season. They'd spend loads of money, win the title, and then not spend again for two years. Then the same thing would would happen again. But Manchester United, by adding these five players, I think really have upped their their levels, the level of the team. And if Eric Tang Ha can find a cohesive system and get eventually, he knows it's a big job. I spoke to him on Saturday about it, and he was talking, it was a massive job. It's going to take a long time. But this is the first step, and it's a step in the right direction, I think.
3: The only reason I would disagree with that, and I'll let Angelina speak on it because she is the Manchester United fan here, outgoing is a huge part of the transfer window as well. And when you've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka sitting there who's surplus to requirements, Luke Shaw, who I believe at this point is probably surplus to requirements, Harry Maguire, who is not good enough, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's going to be disgruntled with being on the bench. Again, he was on the bench against Leicester. I feel like Manchester United's lack of outgoings could affect squad harmony going forward. That's why I haven't put them uh, up there in terms of having the best transfer window.
1: I don't know about you, Angelina. Yeah, but but that's the Europa League team that you've just named there, isn't it? Yeah, true. true. That's a good point.
2: Yeah, I I agree about the outgoings. I think it's more for me. And again, this doesn't really affect the team going forward, but the the poor business with the outgoings in that the players that have left for free, the fact that Phil Jones is still roaming around, bless him, you know, and a, a couple of other names. and um, I know they managed to get Eric Bailly out on loan, but I, I feel so sorry for Phil Jones, I'll be honest. But, um, <laughs> but you know, th- there's a couple of names. And I think also Manchester United, and fans I know are not happy about it will live to regret this James Garner situation as well. So there's yeah. a couple of things that I, I think, that. you know, haven't really worked in their favour, but I will agree in that those players that have come in, I don't think Man United could have asked for much better. But yeah, the outgoing's a little bit annoying.
1: Worst transfer window then. Who's had the worst transfer window?
2: It's gotta be One, Leicester,
3: right? two, three, Leicester. It's gotta be yeah. Leicester. It just has to be.
1: Oh. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, they signed one player until the last week of the window, and that was Alex Smithies, who was on trial at Bournemouth in the summer and wasn't good enough for Bournemouth, wasn't fit enough for Bournemouth. So they were like, no, not not, not for us. They did get one player, um Feiss from REM, um, on the final day. He's a defender, finally a player that plays outfield. He also went to school with Yuri Tielemann, so... Uh, Good job that Tieleman stuck around, which is helpful. But Brendan Rodgers has been speaking afterwards. He's been speaking to uh, um, the media after the game against uh, Manchester United. And he said, look, this isn't the club it was two years ago. That's the reality. We haven't bought any new players in bar one late on in the last two windows. And that's a replacement. So these players need the supporters. It's a moment that's really important. So obviously, I mean, he seems to be very... He seems to be very sort of sanguine about it and pretty honest about it. He also referred to the the programme notes of the owner, which make clear what the situation uh, the club is in. And he said, we've got a challenging transfer, which is drawing to a close. I think it's important that our fans, we address some of the questions that have been asked in recent weeks. First and foremost, our overall financial position is entirely secure and underpinned by my ongoing, my ongoing personal commitment, that of my family. The club is in safe hands Uh, Sometimes the commitment means making difficult short-term decisions to protect the club's long-term interests, such as our approach uh, to this Chummers transfer window. Due to an increase in our net spend over recent uh, seasons, some measures were necessary to ensure we manage our compliance with the game's sustainability regulations. So that is the view of the uh, Leicester chairman who wrote that in his programme notes uh, today. So, I mean, they pretty much admitted they've had the worst transfer window, Uh, but it doesn't uh, bode well for for Brendan. Uh, Bournemouth didn't have a very good transfer window, I didn't think, Quaker.
3: No, they didn't. And that's part of the reason why Scott Parker is no longer the Bournemouth manager. And like I said before, they're probably looking around, Kevin Campbell made a great point um, about Premier League. If you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. And if you come up quite comfortably in Bournemouth's case, um, and Scott Parker did a good job, and you're not investing heavily to try and keep your team in the Premier League, then you are going to go backwards, quite literally back to the championship. So I can understand why there's worry and frustration for Bournemouth's point of view, because they haven't made the signings to keep them in the Premier League. One thing I would say about Bournemouth is that if they do bring in the right manager, then maybe they can turn things around because they have got the semblance of a good squad. But in terms of, in terms of those players that can do those things in those games to kind of win you those three points or salvage a draw, it doesn't seem that Bournemouth have got those. Chelsea? I, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I am exasperated when it comes to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. All over the place. On, some of the signings are brilliant. Koulibaly great signing on the face of it. Raheem Sterling, great signing on the face yeah. of it. Cucurella, great sign, But the way that we've gone about it and the, how late that we left some of the transfers, I just, I don't know, Sam, I don't know what you think about it, but it's kind of left me baffled.
1: Well, apparently um, when this deal for Pereira, or Bamiang does go through, 12 million plus Marcus Alonso, Chelsea already obviously doubled up on left backs, which is a bit of a, an issue. They lost Rudiger, they lost Werner, Christensen, not that, that was too much of a loss. The issue they needed a player in it was in midfield. They needed someone in midfield They needed and they needed a striker. So, you know, if, if Aubameyang's gone through, okay, they, they filled one position, uh, but they need someone in midfield. And I know they went for, was it Edson Alvarez halfway through the day, but it didn't quite work. He didn't train in the morning. They had sort of had a discussion, tried to get a deal over the line. Ajax thought they'd sold too many players. Most of them were at Manchester United. They didn't want to give another one away. So, yeah, I don't know. It just fortune spent on Wesley Fafana, who's played about six games since he's had an injury. So, it's got the feeling of sort of like something where you just went, right, okay, we've got all this sack full of cash. We get to spend it and spend it quick. We've only got a couple of minutes. Come on. It's like Dow Winton supermarket sweep, wasn't it, towards the end? Yeah, very strange. Uh, Wolves, did they have a good transfer window? Not necessarily sure they did, really. And um, I suppose we should talk a little bit about who you think has been the bargain. Of the the summer, where is the where has the best money been spent, Angelina?
2: It's a tough one because I guess with bargain you think you know like what's been the the, the cheapest, but I'm pro- I'm gonna go with Gabriel Jesus because I just think that um, forty five million, but yeah, I just think that he is, you know, the answer to so many issues that we saw with Arsenal last season and they have literally just gone out and hopefully, you know, that his form continues and just got, you know, the the man to fix the job and I think that a bargain signing in what he will bring to the table and, you know, not just this season but for upcoming seasons as well and, yeah, so for me, that's probably who I would go for. I mean, there's quite a few different names you could go for, I guess, but, yeah, for me, I just think he is... You know, a really exciting signing, and I'm actually enjoying watching him play and see him. You know, really show the talent that he's got.
1: Um, yeah, 45 million pounds a bargain. You know, who would have thought that was the case yeah. such as the Premier League <laughs> transfer window? But saying I can't have a go at you because my bargain is Raheem Sterling, and he costs exactly the same amount. Um, because I just think for an England international of that stature, someone who has got. Such great figures. I mean, his figures are very good. His XG per 90 has been impressive. I mean, his XG per 90 so far this season is is 0.58. Three goals already in the tank. For someone who's not an out-and-out striker, that's a pretty good record in a team that don't score that many goals. Let's be clear about it. Um, And I just think to get someone of his, his standing in the game for that price at 27, 28, I just think it's a great deal, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, The Raheem Sterling
3: is a it's great business. Like I say, he guarantees you numbers and he's proven we've seen him for the best part of a decade, and the man's only 27 years old. Um, so yeah, great business by Chelsea. And it's very rare that you see top teams sell players to each other. We've seen it quite a lot this summer. And the fact that Chelsea managed to get their man, the man's gonna score a lot of goals for them, you definitely have to call that a bargain. But my one's slightly different. Well, I say sure. slightly different, it's probably it's probably in the same vein.
1: Alex, Alex Smithies.
3: <laughs> no, no, no. It's actually the same vein as your guys in terms of we are seeing a generational talent play in the Premier League right now. And £51.2 million pounds for Erling Haaland will go on to look like one of the biggest bargains in football history. He scored nine goals in in is it five or six Premier League games already. He is different to anything we've ever seen before. It's similar to when we first ever saw Usain Bolt or Serena Williams or... You can compare it to Ronnie O'Sullivan when he's playing when he's playing Snooker. Do you know when you're watching something that is different? And that's what the sense I get when you're watching Erlen Haaland. 51.2 million. Obviously, we know they're playing they're paying him a lot in wages. But for a transfer fee, I think that's an absolute bargain because that man, this man is gonna go and break records in the Premier League for years to come.
1: XG so far. Per 90 of 1.62, which means literally he is on for 50 goals this season. (laughs) And I did that stat on Monday night, right? So he scored his hat-trick on Saturday. Did That stat for the Monday night show. And I said, you know, obviously he's not going to get 55 goals. He'll have a blip. But I do think Salah's record is under under threat i text adrian durham on wednesday night and when he actually might get 50 goals you know <laughs> <laughs> there's every chance that he might he's a, he is a bit of a freak um he's got uh he's probably licking his right now he's sitting at home he's sitting there you know like when you get, get very excited about i mean I don't, I, if you're a vegetarian i'm sorry about this but uh, um yeah you know, a really nice juicy steak is just about to come on the menu you know it's going to be served up with all the trimmings you know nice triple cooked chips some extra sort of, I don't know, what would you have on top of a steak you like? Would you like, um, do you like Bernays, Sauce Quaker?
3: Chimichurri, I'm more the Chimichurri, chimichurri a man.
1: Chimichurri guy, okay, all right. Okay, I like an onion ring as well, I've got to be yeah. honest with you. So uh, he's probably salivating as much as I am about that steak, thinking about taking on Aston Villa at the weekend. Uh, that game is on Sunday at 4.30. It's one of 10 games, but we start with the Merseyside Derby. It's a city split red and blue in an antique stadium. An old-school game.
2: We know what um, our supporters want. We try to fulfil their dreams and we try to fulfil their wishes.
1: Liverpool fans are singing, Rafa's at the wheel. They've been goading them all night. I know what this club means to the fans. The same for, obviously, Liverpool fans in the, in the city with two huge football clubs like this.
0: This might just be the moment that Everton end their Merseyside derby
1: misery. It's Everton against Liverpool, and it's only on top sports.
0: <laughs> Liverpool have equalised it into the area Anthony Gordon The man they're all talking about An electrifying goal From Luis Diaz What a goal to Mari Gray And stealing it at the far post Was Roberto Firmino Today on Talk Sports You are either red or you're
1: blue Saturday, 1230. Everton against Liverpool live on Talk Sports. Uh, Klopp says that Liverpool will be titled challengers once again. They were 14 points back at one point last season and still put in a decent challenge to Manchester City until take it to the final day. They spent a bit of time in the week with the famous NBA coach, Steve Kerr, who led the Chicago Bulls, the Golden State Warriors, San Antonio Spurs. Uh, is this one, Angelina, a slam dunk?
2: I would imagine so. I mean, I really do rate a lot of Everton fans that I know that still actually like get quite excited and think like, yeah, like we could do it this year. Um and I guess looking at their position in the table, you know, maybe Everton are thinking, oh, maybe this is our chance, but I mean, it's Liverpool's playground at the end of the day? I would not be concerned. So yeah, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Everton can cause them a couple of problems. But you look at the quality of that Liverpool team, despite the couple of issues that they've had. And yeah, this should really, on paper, not be an issue for them.
1: Yeah, Everton did have to dig in and deal with a hostile, seething Ellen Road on uh, Tuesday night, didn't they? Now they're going to be trying to sort of maximise a place that they utilise to the maximum during the... Uh, the course of that run-in to stay up last year. Every one of the games involving Everton so far, Quaker, has been pretty tight though, hasn't it? And four of the last five games between these two at Goodison has inexplicably ended in a draw. I mean, how that's happened with the stark contrast in the abilities in those two teams over the last five years, but four of the last five have ended all square.
3: Yeah, uh, it seems at Goodness of Park that they're well-matched, but I just do think that this Liverpool team will just have too much for Everton I know Jürgen Klopp's not a big fan of the early Saturday kickoffs. he made that crystal clear
1: but he, Liverpool he, after doesn't, the- he doesn't mention it Greg <laughs> he, doesn't
3: mention <laughs> he, it. Do- he doesn't mention it at all um, Penny for the force of the person who has to interview him after the game if Liverpool don't win against Everton um, but he I expect is. him to <laughs> I expect him to fully fully come out on top of that one they were one of the two best teams in this country when they're firing they're almost impossible to stop I think the win against Newcastle was vitally important for their confidence it's crazy to talk about confidence with this Liverpool side but at this point in the season where they've had a few results that have not gone their way they did desperately need that win that came in the last minute against Newcastle I expect them to
1: continue that winning form on Saturday in the early kick off on TalkSport uh, Chelsea West Ham uh, kicks off at three o'clock on Saturday good to know that uh, Premier League schedules are set in stone because uh, this was switch from Sunday to Saturday with about three days notice so uh, I mean the good news is not much traveling involved but even even so man it's just not ruin your whole weekend from what I mean i ruined my show on Sunday I mean who wants to who cares about the what was it Fulham Brighton or Brighton Leicester or something on Sunday who cares about that game I'm only joking, Brian, and Leicester fans. I don't mean that. That's not true. Uh, Chelsea-West Ham is Saturday, 3 o'clock. We care about them all. That's why we do this podcast. We care about all 10 games. Uh, Skamaka, Lucas Paqueta, Antonio, Bowen, Ben Rama. Why do I just feel like West Ham are going to win this game? Oh, I, I I have that sinking feeling in my stomach as well. I'm
3: going to be at Stamford Bridge uh, watching that unfold. Uh, West Ham have been a tough out for Chelsea in recent seasons. Um, we remember the game at London Stadium last year where Edward Mendy had an absolute shocker. Uh, and that was the kind of start of Chelsea's poor form last season. At Stamford Bridge, you'd expect Chelsea to be a little bit stronger, but... If we go by the last few performances from Chelsea, it's not been great. Confidence is at an all time low. Thomas Tuchel's clearly frustrated, and West Ham have strengthened well in the transfer window. This has probably been the best, best uh, window West Ham have had in the best part of a decade. They've brought in some st- serious players, some players that are going to have a, a big effect on their team, on their starting lineup. So, despite the fact that Chelsea go into this game as serious f- favourites, I'm always pessimistic, especially in London derbies. I'm going to go for a draw in this one, but I would not be surprised to see West Ham come away with three points.
1: Okay, uh, which is a bit off, really, seeing as Chelsea have spent more money in a transfer window than anyone ever in the history of summer transfer windows. Apparently, Real Madrid held the world record in 2019 with £272 million spent. Yeah, Chelsea's spending, just go to £273.5 million, which means that they've spent more in one transfer window than anybody else ever has. But yeah, it's still, you know, maybe it's going to take a little bit of time. Maybe there needs to be a bit of patience here. Maybe you need to understand that Thomas Tuchel has had a very disrupted six months with the ownership situation, and now it's going to take him a little bit of time just to bed down and get this team uh, playing right. I mean, all that sort of sounds like a really nice way of saying, you know, be patient. This guy's won the Champions League. But ultimately that shouldn't really affect the intensity of the players. And that's what's been a bit of an issue so far this season. Um, Aston Villa against Manchester City. Um, we've already just mentioned it, haven't we? I mean, the good news for fantasy captains is, is that Pepper said, don't worry, Haaland doesn't need much of a rest. He's 22, he's young, he recovers well. Good news for fantasy teams that have captained him. Bad news for Aston Villa. Angelina, which way do you think this one will go?
2: Believe it or not, do you feel like City are going to have the upper hand on this one? Um yeah I I really do fear for them um in this game because as much as you know yeah City are away from home that is not going to even affect them and it's not going to affect a player like Erling Haaland. Um I am one of those people that has him in my fantasy team captain. So yes, I will be very very happy. Um and I think yeah, this this could be another hat trick like, it's so exciting as a football fan because it's like when this guy comes on the pitch, you like, who knows what he's going to do? Is he going to score one goal, three goals, eight goals? Who knows? But yeah, I think this is going to be uh, an easy one for Manchester City. And I think Villa could be in for a bit of a tough time.
1: um Villa fans excited after another raft of changes on Wednesday night. Um, in a one-sided game against Arsenal that they uh, managed on deadline day to bring in Leander Dendonka. Penny for the force of
3: Villa fans. Um, Game day phone-in at 5.30pm on TalkSport on Saturday evening will be uh, a must-listen appointment radio because Gabby Agbonlahor on the hall will be apoplectic if Erlen Haaland has his way against Aston Villa, which we all expect him to. He's also in my fantasy team. I've, cap- I've captained him. I might even triple-captain him this week. Um, well, what's, the, what's the point in us all having the same captain? <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it. You have to do it. Otherwise, you're going to miss out. I didn't make him my captain this week. I made Jesus my captain and then Haaland scored the first-half hat-trick. I'm not making the same mistake again this weekend. Um, and I fully expect... Uh, similar to Angelina, that, that Man City will have the upper hand in this one. They look unstoppable. I feel like the Premier League, I'm going to whisper it, because it's sold as the best league in the world, is looking a little bit Bundesliga-ish in terms of Man City's dominance, a prolific striker on um, top. You can't uh, say that.
1: You can't say that. I said, I said something similar last year when they went however many 14 points clear in January and I got absolutely <laughs> City fans for it as well. Um, Manchester United take on Arsenal 4.30 on Sunday. I'm going to be at this game, Angelina. Obviously, Anthony is going to be the big story here. There's going to be protests outside the ground again, but is, is the main focus going to be on the most expensive deadline day signing in Premier League history?
2: yes i think that the focus will be will be on him and this is you know a, a game that i'm sure arsenal and man united fans look forward to you know every year but this one has got a little bit of something extra to it and i'm really interested to see how both teams um show up for this game Oh, it's 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 a tough one because you know my, my bias would love you know Anthony to come on the pitch and score you know a hat trick and you know a, a David de Gea will have an amazing game and it'll all be wonderful. Um, I think that the quality that Arsenal do have um w- will shine through and I think you know the confidence that not to say that Man United have got you know a real lack of confidence after you know the couple of games good games that they've had and good performances but I think you know that extra bit of confidence that Arsenal have will really help carry them through. But like you say, yes, there will be protests going on. Manchester United fans will be up for this. I think the atmosphere is going to be on another level and I think that could end up helping Manchester United. So I think this is going to be a really, really tight one. And maybe, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo coming off the bench, maybe he could do something. Um, So, yeah, I'm very excited about this one. I don't really think I could call it because I'm too nervous and if it doesn't go my way, I'm going to be very upset.
1: Mikel Arteta will get uh, Arsenal... Up for it, they'll be right in Manchester United's faces. They're going to have to hold firm again. United could be a very difficult afternoon for that back line that seems to have developed itself as the number one back. Uh, well, the, 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 the back four now, isn't it? They've sort of almost sort of cemented those positions as the back four now. Uh, Martinez, Malassia, Varane, and Dallow. Tottenham against Fulham is Saturday, live on Talk Sports. Um. Harry Kane is eyeing up a goal record in the top flight of North London derbies. He's got 42 in 71 derbies. He didn't score versus West Ham, bearing in mind that's sort of like one in every uh, one and a half games. He's probably due one. And if he does, he'll go level with Thierry Henry for London derby goals. Um, I expect he probably will, won't he? And this probably should be a Tottenham victory. However, Fulham have caused a couple of surprises already.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited to see this one. I mean, like you say on paper, you see Spurs taking this one and, you know, with the record, you can imagine that Harry Kane is definitely going to be up for it. But I don't think we should completely write off Fulham. I think that they are, you know, they are definitely capable of causing Spurs quite a couple of problems. I think that they could expose a couple of the weaknesses that we've been seeing. But yeah, I, I do think that Spurs will get this win. Um I hope that Harry Kane, you know, manages to get that record, has a great game. But yeah, I don't think that it will be a total walk in the park for them. I think that Fulham could definitely, you know, throw a little spanner in the works. Could
1: be quite an aggressive game. I think yeah. this match between these two, uh, Newcastle Palace, is Saturday three o'clock. I feel a bit sorry for Palace because they've had a really tough start, but they've been pretty impressive. Can you see them getting anything from Newcastle, Kwaku? I can do. I can. Like you say, they have been impressive.
3: Um, Wolf Saha after the game voices displeasure. How? Palace defend or attack the game when they go a goal ahead, and I think Patrick, I think Patrick Vieira will respect the fact that Wolf is speaking in his mind. It's a Wolf Arzaga who looks rejuvenated this season, um. So. I think the result is very dependent on if Sam Maxman is going to be fit for Newcastle. We know that he's the talisman for that side. He was missing the, uh, for that game against Liverpool uh, midweek. So I think these teams are evenly matched. Obviously, Newcastle have got way higher ambitions than Crystal Palace, purely down to the fact that the investment has been so substantial uh, because of the new owners. Um, so Newcastle should go into this game as favourites, but we know the Palace can go to any of the big boys and, get a result and take points off of them. Uh, they are unlucky against Man City. Obviously, they were victims to an Haaland onslaught, um, but they give everybody a game and they're going to be in this game against Newcastle. Newcastle's is like favourites, but I can see this one ending up in the draw.
1: Newcastle defend really well. Six clean sheets in nine home games. Brentford, whose only defeat so far was that loss to Fulham in the West London derby, uh, take on Leeds at the same time. It could be an absolute cracker, this one, couldn't it? Because these are two teams that always seem to find the back of the neck, Quaker. Yeah, I love
3: the style of both of these teams and I love both of these managers. I know that Jesse Marshall's got a few detractors because of his antics on the sideline, but I love the fact that he's been backed by the Leeds board and I love the fact that he's got a specific style of play and you see that it's almost a continuation of Marcelo Bielsa and Brentford they're almost everybody's second favourite team Um, the 4-0 win against United sorry Angelina was a great result one of the most memorable Premier League results this season so I'm expecting to see a frenetic game and again it's difficult to call but I think Brentford being at home will just edge this one
1: against Leeds Nottingham Forest versus Bournemouth Um, that kicks off at 3 o'clock on Saturday these two have scored two goals each is it guaranteed 0-0 Angelina?
2: um I feel like it it definitely has the potential to be that um I'm hoping you know Forrest you know I've backed them with the amount of players that they've brought in hopefully that they they will use some of them to their advantage and I would like to see them get a win but yeah I mean when you look at the way that they've both been playing like you say the lack of goals this could be one of those nil nils, but I would I would really like to see Forrest, you know, take the game, you know, by the scruff of the neck. You know, maybe we see a couple of these, uh, you know, new signings, and yeah, they they managed to get something, but I'm not too uh, hopeful. Uh,
1: very quickly, Wolves against Southampton. Um, Wolves have scored two goals. Saints have conceded nine. Maybe this is the day that Wolves find their feet in front of goal Quaker. Maybe
3: unlikely. Wolves have looked hapless in front of goal. They were booed off. Uh, by their own fans in the last game against Bournemouth. They're struggling. The Southampton side, it's kind of rejuvenation. I know they uh, they have a lot of detractors because of the heavy defeats they've suffered in recent years, but I'm liking what I've seen from Southampton in terms of the new young players, the direction that Hassan Hütel is taking the side. Obviously, last time out, they got a win against Chelsea. They were unlucky against Manchester United. I think they performed very well in the second half, obviously losing that game 1-0. So I think we are seeing a bit of a, an upturn in form from Southampton and against Wolves who have struggled to score goals. I expect Southampton to win this game, despite the fact that they're away from home.
1: Um, look, I was probably a bit rude about Brighton versus Leicester a little bit earlier on, Angelina. Uh, so uh, tell listeners to the Sunday session why it's essential that they tune in at one o'clock so we can bring them all of the drama uh, from the Amex Stadium.
2: I am actually looking forward to seeing this one. I mean, I know that Brighton have had a little bit of a blip, but, you know, this is their chance to respond well. Um, and Leicester, it's, it doesn't look great, does it, at the end of the day? And I think that this could be, you know, Brighton being at home this should be a chance for them to really display exactly what they're made of, to make their mark on this game, to show exactly why they want to be competing, you know, in this top half of the table, you know, pushing themselves further up the table. So, yeah, I think this is a really good chance for Brighton to kind of pick up the good form that we've been seeing before their blip. And for Leicester, I think it's just maybe going to be a case of just hang on and, yeah, just wait for it all to be over maybe.
1: When you say hang on and wait for it all to be over, that, <laughs> that doesn't really fit on the bottom of the billboard. I'm not sure that's going to sort of okay, we can, part we Okay,
2: we can switch that open. up then. We can switch that up. Leicester are going to have to come into this one and really fight, okay? Yeah. So this is going to be a good battle yeah, between the two. Yeah. We think Brighton will win the battle, but I mm-hmm. feel like it is definitely going to be a fight between the two because Leicester have got a lot to kind of recover. and They've got a
1: lot of firepower, haven't they, yes. Leicester? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can they can drag themselves yeah. into the, back into the game if they suffer a, a, a deficit. Quakey, uh, thank you very much uh, for coming on the program. We appreciate it, and we'll um we'll see you again soon. And I'll oh, I'll see you on Sunday for the, the Sunday session. Angelina, talksport edge, um, you're uh, doing you're doing the videos on the edge throughout the course of the the next month. Are you? Are you still continuing with all the transfer gossip that you've been doing since April?
2: Yes, uh, we'll have a little bit of a break from the transfers. I think we all just need a minute. But yeah, as soon as they start rocking up again, we will be discussing them. And as always, we've always got good content on the app. If you are a Gabby, Jamie O'Hara fan, some very entertaining videos, I'll put it that way.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Um, uh, we will be back on Monday, around uh, about lunchtime, uh, it's giving you a review of the entire weekend. Uh, all 10 games looked at in detail here on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. I'll see you on Saturday at the 241st
0: Merseyside Derby. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labbrooks.com, 18+. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best.